everybody welcome back to jurassic views it is sunday january 24th we have a couple pieces uh that we want to to get to today we have a very quick hopefully a very quick quick post game react to what happened this afternoon uh and then we're going to get into a long podcast talking about league musings, some things that Zaya and myself have been witnessing or have been seeing trends of that we want to just talk about um, and kind of go through them, almost like a pardon the interruption kind of style. But first, let's get to the game today. It was a beauty. This was a signature win early in the season, Zaya. We were leading. We gave the lead away. But our defense including some guys I think we should bring up as we discuss off the bench, some role players taking on bigger roles, and we stuck out a gritty win in Indy uh, over Sabonis and Brogdon and their Pacers. Zaya, how are you feeling after this game? Uh, I mean, this was an early game, right? Um, and uh, it started at one o'clock tip off. So I almost was on a high for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, it was yep. an intense, it was an intense, uh, bur- you know, um, intense game, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, it was great to be reunited with uh, uh, Coach Nate. Uh, Bjorkman, uh, he was the assistant coach with Toronto Raptors, uh, with, uh, Nick Nurse, uh, for what we're talking two years, but they go way back. They go over what, 20 years of yeah. being together. So, um, so I knew Nick Nurse as being the competitive that he was, he, he was going to go all in and it showed it on the court with the players. Uh, you mentioned defensively, um, we, we, we disoriented their two top guys, which probably oh, was, for me was was uh, was significant in that signature win that you mentioned. Um, but uh, we can't continue without talking about Agua Ananobi Jr., born on a Sunday day of May 17, 1997. Goodness gracious, this Damn. guy was playing out of his mind. Like, what did you think about his performance? Uh, first of all, let's just hope that uh, Sabonis is able to play tomorrow. Because this man not only got beat up physically by OG, but- he, got, he got humiliated. The guy was like six for 32. He got blocked twice on the on yeah. the the chance to get the game within one on their last possession. 
uh, by Stanley Johnson and Slim Duck Chris Boucher. But OG and Anobi attacked him like Bam at a bio against Daniel Tice last year in the conference finals. He bully balled him. And this is what we thought OG could be, you know, have the confidence to go to the 10 and then finish at the basket. I was, I think earlier in the week, maybe the first game of the week uh, against Miami, I was frustrated, or maybe it was the second game of the week against Miami when we lost. I was frustrated that he was missing little ones uh, that he had worked so hard to get the hoop today. He makes those he's making his threes. He had like five steals on the post. Uh, this guy was st- straight superhero today. Um, what were you thinking, man? Well, you know, when I look at uh, Sabonis, uh, who's an all-star, um, Nate is using Sabonis as your playmaking pig, similar to Bam Adebayo, right? But Sabonis had a tough go. You know, he was, um, aside from his monstrous 19 rebounds, he was one of 10 uh, from the field, right, for 10 points um, and uh, with only five assists um, and three turnovers. He's a playmaking big, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, those assist numbers go up, but he couldn't playmake. We're disrupting his rhythm. Um, he usually does – he's effective uh, in the paint. Uh, we were really putting multiple bodies on him, uh, not just credit to – Ananobi, but also Stanley Johnson, Boucher, and um, and our boy Aaron Bain, who finally yeah. showed up for a second uh, consecutive game. I would um, even say three another, three straight games now he's played decent. Uh, minutes. You know, I, I think if we, if, I think mediocre was the attribute that I would use for that first <laughs> Miami game. Okay. Um, good was that second Miami game, and this one was even better. Um, and so much respects to him. Uh, an, uh, another attribute uh, to our defense was um, Malcolm Brogdon, right? Who's yeah. regarded by Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet has to be known as the t- a top tier point guard, uh, defensive point guard in the league. Uh, Brogdon shot five for 22, one for 10 um, from the field for a meager uh, 12 points a game. And um, you have to ask yourself, like, you know, um, did Brogdon just shoot it? You know, did he have a bad shooting game? Yeah, I would say that. He's right. he's, he's not that bad. Um, he'll be it, ready tomorrow. Uh, yeah, he'll be ready tomorrow. Was it a def- was it a team defensive effort by the Toronto Raptors? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But come on. Uh, Fred VanVleet, and it showed it in that um, one of the uh, defensive uh, possessions at the game where he literally just mugged him, mugged him. Um, out of you know during a play with what set you know seconds left right uh, forcing them to 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 a turnover and um, and a shot clock turnover so mm-hmm. Van Fleet came with his A game knowing that we needed him badly uh, considering Kyle Lowry was out uh, for his second game and uh, including Pascal Siakam uh, who is known to have swelling on his knees so. It was exciting to see um, these guys kind of take up the mantle um, and uh, and perform at an elite level consistently throughout the game. We were on the road, so I expected uh, a well-coached Nate team to make a run um, late in the game, but um, our guys uh, pulled it out. 
Held her own, man. Held her own. Absolutely. Uh, two guys I want to mention that I think played the most minutes within the regular season so far mm-hmm. with their time with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Got to give it up to DeAndre Bembry today, Absolutely. Who, who, who was significant defensively. Minutes. And the chant that was uh, that that took up, swallowed the room, the sound in the room uh, today with my daughter and I, we were chanting, Yuda, Yuda. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. This guy was covering Brogdon. He was covering... Uh, the holiday uh, brothers. He was, he, he even had to switch on miles Turner. Uh, fantastic stuff from our bench. I mean, we could go on about this game. It was a good one. Uh, my uh, sorry, Indiana did play very well at the end of the day. Our defense was swarming and showed themselves to be elite today. Hopefully that continues as we're starting to see a trend. The only other thing I want to say to you, Zaya, before we get into league musings, um, is that, uh, well, number one, we they do have a game. The Raps do play Indiana tomorrow. We likely will get Pascal Siakam back and probably Kyle Lowry too. But do you remember when we were 2-8, and eight, like a couple weeks ago? And I yeah. said, I said, if we were 2-10, and 10, uh, th- we, we might have to sound the alarm. Since going two and eight, we are now five and one. If we were to beat Indiana tomorrow, I think we've made the exact response that the fans know this team can be uh, can be doing, and the team that we can be for for the rest of the season. Just a great win overall. Um, we've been talking about the, a lot about the Raptors the last uh, month or so. Uh, this is our 21st podcast already. I think my wife is uh, becoming a Toronto Raptors widow, although she probably say she ha- that happens every playoff run. But uh, we've been having fun talking about the Raptors and tw- twitter- uh, tweeting about the Raptors as well. But we want to take a step back, which I think is a good, healthy thing in any relationship, but including our relationship with the Raptors. And what we're going to do on the podcast today, uh, for those who didn't listen to our last two podcasts where we set this up, we're going to have a few league musings, some things that we've yeah. been thinking about, uh, maybe some, some cultural references, maybe uh, some teams, some individual players, uh, and just be able to talk a little bit uh, about the league without any stress, <laughs> without any pressure. Just having so fun <laughs> as two guys who just, you know, love basketball, but don't have to be diehards uh, like we are for the Raps. Start us off. What are What is a lead musing, Zaya, that, that you want to share uh, with our audience today? Well, I shared this um, last month and uh, with you. This uh, There was an article that came out on the Players' Tribune. Yeah. And uh, it, was, uh, it dropped on uh, December 14th, and it was titled The, the Word of God uh, by God Sham God. Um, if you don't know God Sham God, he was a 1990s uh, point guard um, prodigy, uh, particularly in streetball. He made his name known in Harlem uh, streetball scene. Um, and was uh, 
a youngster who um, reinvented the way in which uh, ball handling skills can actually play, be played at an elite level, uh, whether that be at the collegiate level or at, or in the NBA. Uh, he's currently a player development coach with the Dallas Mavericks. But this article just was, uh, a, he was reminiscing over his time uh, coming up um, as a basketball player and his relationship uh, with the game, but his also his relationship with the city of New York. If you don't know New York, um, it for the longest time was known as the factory of point guards. Um, and uh, a quick side note, uh, he didn't know this until he, he actually came of age, but in high school, he was actually uh, taught and coached by, a, a, you know, a, a notoriously um, uh, I would say out of this world point guard in his own age, uh, uh, Archibald, uh, tiny Archibald. Uh, he Nate was tiny the only Archibald. point guard. Yeah. Only point guard in, in the history of the NBA to lead, to lead the league in points and assists. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, Probably. I'm going to write, I'm going to read, uh, one quick snippet, of uh, a so well-written um, essay, uh, kind of memoir essay, um, and that really mirrors his own voice, um, uh, kind of in that New York Harlem voice. Um, and I read, in high school, I started to become a local legend, a hood celebrity, if you will. And you really got to understand how pop in New York City basketball was at the time. I'm playing against Stefan Marbury, Skip Tomailu, Alamo, rest in peace. All of these guys would become household names. They were just kids from around the way. Man, even Cameron was super nice. I knew all of these guys from when we was little kids playing church basketball. And now all of a sudden we got Jay-Z, Puff, Dame Dash, all of these guys showing up to our games. That's how insane New York City basketball was at the time. Just the other day, somebody sent me an Instagram DM with this old Kodak photo of me and Steph standing in the tunnel after a random high school game. Like, remember this? Man, the third dude in the picture was Biggie Smalls. We were just kids, but we were the culture. Mm. And you know this, you know, uh, he went off um, after graduating from high school, he went off to Providence, uh, played a couple of years in Providence, went on to the NBA, didn't have a long stint, bounced around trying to find his way, went international, and then came back to the U.S., um, ended up coaching himself and uh, making his way back to uh, the NBA as a, as a coach. But something that was mentioned throughout the uh, article that I, I totally forgot, but he came of age at around the same time as a Kobe Bryant. And mm -hmm. they were quite close. And he talked about Kobe Bryant being maybe a young, a year younger uh, than him. And he was calling him, mm -hmm. he was calling him Italy <laughs> because, you know, Kobe Bryant had just arrived from abroad um, because his father was playing in uh, the Italian league. And he talked about Kobe Bryant's determination and, and, and focus on the game at such a young age and how, you know, they were kind of, uh, how gosh damn God would even say that he was giving Kobe pointers in terms of ball handling. 
um, in, in order for Kobe to kind of catch up on, you know, the American game that he had not been close to, especially the, 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 the New York City game. And uh, considering it's been what, now a year that Kobe's, uh, Kobe's passing, he, his daughter, mm. as well as the other passengers on the helicopter mm. crash, um, it, it, it's, um, it, it was quite touching how God Shamgad talked about um, his journey uh, from essentially the streets of Harlem uh, to being this teacher of the game um, after so many years and, and where the game has actually um, taken him in terms of relationships, in terms of personal uh, development and gro- growth and maturity as a man, as a black man, um, and uh, and how he has a very different perspective on um, on the city that he grew up in. Right, I think it was it was almost an odd to the to the city that he grew up in, uh, despite its socioeconomic issues and um, and still uh, racial segregation. Uh, I found it uh, quite touching because I think even when we talk about the game as it is, uh, we you know we deal in the X's and O's. We talk about wins and losses. We talk about the process. We also talk about uh, the Toronto Raptors, which is really kind of territorial. We talk about Toronto. We talk about Canada. But much of what we've come to appreciate of the game finds its roots in that New York City street game um, from the God Sham gods of the world. Who, if we, if you know, if today people don't know the God Sham God move, um, that that hmm. um, that pull out crossover that um, Manu Ginobili quite perfected, and knowing where Manu Ginobili grew up, it was in Argentina. So you have to understand, like how how can how can moves, how can basketball evolve, um, how can it bring so many people together? I think those are the things that we appreciate from the game, uh, the community that it that it built and how diverse uh, and, and broad it is. So, um, you know, I don't want to say this, but it seems like all, all road, all roads lead to New York city street ball. <laughs> For sure. The Mecca, baby, the Mecca, the Mecca. I, I remember uh, walking through Harlem and uh, walking through Brooklyn and Queens uh, in my times in New York. And I felt like I was in both a dream a basketball fairy tale in a rap video because there's just so much, so much history hype. There's yeah, so much history. Uh, you talked about God Sham God when he was drafted, I believe it was 1997. Yeah. He, he played for Providence when guys like uh, uh, Lazarus Sims was in Syracuse. Lawrence Moton was in Syracuse. Ray Allen was in uh, University of Connecticut. Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson was in Georgetown. Was in Georgetown. Yeah. That's that was my boy. I, I was watching the Hoyas. Sh- sh- uh, God Sham God, he could make you shape, baby. He could make you dance. Oh my and, gosh, put you on uh, skates. Yeah, to he- to hear, uh, you know, about the history, hear hear about the story that he had, to hear about Biggie Smalls. Oh my goodness, yeah. uh, you know that was. That's something special. You know, to, you know you're, you're talking about these notorious, you know, celebrities going to a high school game to see 16-year-olds play basketball, right? right. Um, it, it, it's not just, well, the game is so interesting. I, I think it had more to do with, like, how he, he, he articulated it. They were a part of the culture. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some, you know, a, a good contra- a good similarity is um, if Drake suddenly attends uh, Eastern Commerce basketball game, right? right? It's, right. It's, it's that heavy. It brings attention. And it brings, so I always felt that these guys were coming out of New York, the Stephon Marbury's grew up so fast because of the attention that they, they received. Um, I think there's negatives and positives to that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, the, you know, the positives is they have a platform, they have access to monetary capital and um, but uh, the negatives, and I think he does attach, you know, he does, he does hint on it that there is a growth spurt, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a ceiling, right? And I think he mm-hmm. had to go do some soul searching after basketball, after that he cannot physically play right. the game and perform at a high level, especially since he had a, a short stint in the NBA, what is next? And, um, and I think yeah. he talked about that kind of, you know, uh, maturity and, and leap that one needs to make. And that's so many um, due to the lack of resources and the impact of, you know, um, of their environment don't have access to. And so um, much respect yeah. to Sham, right. the, the God Sham God. Um, he's a legend, a legend. Uh, he yeah. won't make the Hall of Fame, but, um, but you know, uh, right. You ask the right people. We know who God Sham God is, and so the basketball yeah, God sure. know who God Sham God is. So, I mean, as as two guys who played competitive point guard uh, growing up, these these were our point gods. Yeah. Uh, God Sham God certainly on that list. Um, we're going to talk about some more uh, point guards in the in this podcast, but before we get to to some of the ones we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, Netflix has documentaries on uh stefan marbury mm-hmm. alan iverson and tony parker check at least one of those out um you know these are the guys that are like the quarterbacks of uh the nba they're the guys that are the leaders um you know we talk about fred and kyle obviously you got to hear the stories and how they got there when you're small and you have to get through all the obstacles uh that an nba player does plus you're maybe a foot or eight inches taller, sorry, shorter mm. than, than the rest of the guys that you're playing against. Uh, you know, it's something special when they get to, to the, to the league. Um, let's, let's transition to, to talk about a couple guys that are playing right now, uh, a team that they're on has, it seems like they've overachieved, but we might get to playoff time and they might be right in the mix. Two guys from the Lake regions from the great Lake regions on the state side from Cleveland, the land, uh, Mr. Garland and Mr. Sexton, also known in Cleveland as Sexland. I love it. Man, these guys have had a hell of a start. Uh, you know, specifically uh, Colin Sexton, who led his team to not just one victory against the beard, Kevin Durant and Kyrie, Uncle Drew Irving, he beat him twice. Yeah. Beat him twice in Cleveland. This guy's averaging almost 27 points a game. Garland's got almost 17 points a game. Both of them have been out a couple games due to injury, but what a sexy start for the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron James, without Kyrie Irving. What have you seen, if anything, from, from these two young guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, have to, I have to give credit where credit 
is due, and that's uh, mm. to the coach, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He has these guys playing uh, spirited basketball, right? They're in the shadows of the NBA, right? They don't have a marquee player on their roster. No one's that has, that's going to jump at you uh, or is going to make it to uh, an NBA Finals, uh, or I should say an NBA All-Star roster. Um, they have a, you know, Kevin, Kevin Love still plays on this roster. And I'm, I, I he does. I, he was the best cheerleader yeah, the other day I, I mean, when I, I was watching I, the I game. I totally forgot. I totally forgot. Yeah. But um, I, I knew of Sexton since he was in, you know, uh, in Alabama. Right. And he, he, right. he got drafted and he was brought into the Cleveland Cavaliers. And just around the same time that Kyrie kind of exited. Uh, Kyrie Irving, that is, uh, exited to Boston, uh, was or traded to, to Boston. And I really was, you know, uh, you know, thinking, okay, this, you know, LeBron also left to LA. So the responsibility on this young, young, young kid's shoulders, really, uh, and playing the most important position in the NBA. Uh, Bryce, he's doing, he's holding more than, you know, he's doing beyond my expectations. Yeah, when I'm when I'm thinking about uh, point guards specifically, and the stats that I looked at look at are assist to turnover ratios, and both Garland and Sexton have done a pretty good job, uh, you know, moving the ball but also protecting it. And I think uh, Sexton's a little. Longer. I think he's like uh, two to one ratio, but he, he's you know he's a a high pressure, high volume kind of guy. And then Garland, yeah. I think, is like three and a half uh, to one assist to turnover ratio. So that's really good. Here's a matchup. Uh, just this last point before we move on to the next uh, league musing. Um, something I was getting excited about already, and, and hopefully this, this pans out come uh, playoff time. If there's a play-in game and it's Atlanta with Trey Young versus the Cavs with Sexton and Garland, tell me that's not a heck of a game to watch to try that's and a, get into the playoffs. Oh my goodness. Oh, that, that'll be, a, that, that'll be a, a shootout, right? Like, a, yeah, um, sure. you know, similar to the games that they had against the Nets. That's um, right. High scoring, you know, <laughs> uh, basketball game. Um, and I'll, you know, I know this is early, but I'll put my money on Sexland, right? I right. think they have the wherewithal uh, defensively and, uh, to endure um, what uh, Atlanta can throw at them. Uh, Brogdanovich is actually out for the whole season, so he's a guard that they acquired from Sacramento, so that kind of hurts Atlanta. But, yeah, um, yeah, I put my money on – there's something about Sexton to me that has that that grittiness, that has that kind of Kyle Lowry DNA, right, Right. that can will a team. You know, I looked at some of the highlights when he was going against uh, Kyle – with against Kyrie Bryce and I'm like mm-hmm. this guy's not stepping down this guy is, is right. he's stepping into the moment he's leaning in um so uh it's uh, quite exciting yeah I'm looking forward to it that, that was a good well, we're, we're gonna move ahead here to two point guards but but not current players they're actually coaches first we're gonna start off with Steve Nash and then we're gonna move on to Doc Rivers and what he's doing with the Sixers first Steve Nash Tell me, man, when you heard about Steve Nash getting the job with the Brooklyn Nets, 
and and him having to manage the egos of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, did you think that he was also going to be able to manage James Harden? I mean, talk about uh, a pressure-filled, ego-filled kind of scenario. They've they've had a rocky start. Um, everyone seems to respect this guy as they should. Uh, but what are your early thoughts on Steve Nash, the coach? You know, I think he came into his position from a place of both um, credibility um, as well as humility. Um, you, you know, around the same time he got hired, I'm, I'm sure you you noticed this was um, over the summer, and um, this was also around the issue of. Um, race and representation mm-hmm. and black and black NBA coaches getting an opportunity. And so when, he, when he doesn't have uh, any coaching experience, right. I know he was hired as a consultant out with uh, the Golden State Warriors. Um, there was a lot of talks and, and, you know, ESPN's, you know, talking heads. Um, what's um, how can I forget his name? You know, Stephen you know, A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, he went on, he went, <laughs> You know, he, he, he went uh, he went on air and just, you know, raised the issue. I don't think he was calling out Steve Nash particularly, but he was raising the issue. And I think it's an important issue. And so how I uh, my my big takeaway from it was how Steve Nash responded to it. He acknowledged it. Right. He acknowledged his white privilege and, and, and which is a reality of many white uh, players and coaches who have been able to get positions, getting the, the, the yeses and the affirmation from owners and general managers uh, throughout the NBA. And I think that told me the tone and his approach to NBA co- uh, how he was going to be a coach. Right. Um, mm-hmm. he, he understands that we're in the player empowerment movement. So um, he was going to approach it as someone who has played the game, someone who has excelled in the game, but has to lean. He has to lean and depend on his players like he did when he was a point guard, uh, especially yeah. in those Phoenix game- years when he was uh, the MVP back to back. Right. He amplified his play- the players that were around him. And when he won that MVP t- um, award twice, right. he brought up his whole roster, right? right? Saying that, hey, I'm not winning this MVP without these guys. So I think when I know his person, his character, and now mm-hmm. becoming a coach, he was going to bring that same type of mentality, Bryce, right? He's saying, mm-hmm. you know, I can draw up X's and O's on the sideline, but at the end of the day, I trust the guys who are on the court to make the best play, right? To make the best judgment. My job yeah. is to facilitate things that are a little bit challenging for you that you do not see right and to forecast scenarios in which you cannot you cannot see for yourself that are going to get you not to win a game mm-hmm. but to win a series and in order in order for you to win a championship so right. um he let's talk about who's 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 uh, coaching with him right because i think that's just i think that's uh yeah that's a key a key part and i think what what makes nash so good is that he's obviously going to take a look at the big picture. He doesn't care that they're nine and eight or no, ten and eight. Um, and and he's he's going he knows he's successful. He's a very bright guy, um, and he looks at the game in different ways. 
but this coaching staff that he surrounded himself with, and I don't know too many guys who could create a coaching staff in their first year. I mean, Nick Nurse definitely was nowhere near this level of uh, experience and pedigree. You've got, let me just name him, Mike D'Antoni, Coach Aduka. He's got uh, Amari Stottlemyre, who he played with in Phoenix. He's got Jacques Vaughn, who did a very good job as an interim. For heaven's sakes, the guy's got Tiago Splitter as a development coach who played for the San Antonio Spurs and won a championship. I don't know if there's uh, a more uh, accolade-filled, trophy-case-filled coaching staff in the league uh, from from their first, you know, games uh, together – uh, before they've even had a chance to to move forward as yeah. a unit, it's 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 quite impressive. And 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 um, I forgot to mention that, right? He he brought in a coach who, for the most part, uh, management usually releases right after their interim stint, right? right? right. Uh, the uh, Brooklyn Nets actually played excellent basketball in the bubble, right? They they yeah. played in. Inter, you know, fascinating style and exciting style. And so what Steve Nash did said, you know what? We need to make sure that we keep elements of that DNA, especially since we still have those players still on our roster, right? And so what does he do? He humbles, you know, you know I don't want to, this is, I'm not going fanboy here on Steve Nash, but, you know, it takes a <laughs> level of humility, right? To say, right. you know what? Hey, I'm going to bring in that interim coach, keep him on the roster because, his value add is still important for me as, as, yeah. as I develop as a coach, but particularly for this team to reach its potential at such a short um, sp- you know, time span because it, the, you know, their expectations are for them to, is to win a championship. It's not just for them to get mm-hmm. into the playoffs or make a run into the, you know, to the conference finals. It's championship or bust. So he knows right, what's right, at right. stake. And so I think he's, take, he's approaching this quite strategically, you know, in a very measured yeah. way. Um, I think he's going to amplify, you know, you talked about, you know, bringing in James Harden. I think he's just going to elevate their game, right? They're go- he's going to right. say, choose your spots. Do not expand all your energy on the, you know, like you had mm-hmm. to in Houston or um, right. in, in your previous teams, right? You have three other guys who can do similar things so how do you complement with one another which is probably one of the toughest things to do um Mm. in the nba when you bring in a you know like if you build in a build up a super team uh so is it managing of egos i I think so i think it's also managing um you know your best talent and how to you know how to how to make them win together you remember that team back in the day um uh, the portland trailblazers this was in 2000s. Right. They brought in a. They made a super team, right? They had a Sabonis. They had a Scotty Pippen. They yeah, had Steve yeah. Smith. They had Damon Stoudemire. They had Rasheed Wallace, um, and they owned loads of dudes. Loads of dudes, and they almost knocked the the, the you know the LA Clip the LA Lakers, and uh, you know Bill Simmons would say you know they got cheated you know in that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Only a Boston guy yeah. could say something like they that. But um, it, it, they, they had a ceiling. And the ceiling was, I think they had issues right. on that roster because they had so many talented pieces. They didn't all fit. 
and right. it's tough to manage. It's not. Right. I think they were coached by Dan Levy. It it's not an easy. It's not an easy thing just to uh, create a super team. Um, so, well, here here's here's another team that has a, a similar situation. Lots of big stars, lots of big contracts, and they're coached again by a point guard, a pretty solid point guard when he was uh, for playing for the Atlanta Hawks. And maybe point guards are always doing this. Maybe not Rajon Rondo uh, on the Boston Celtics, but you know most point guards are managing the team. They're trying to look for guys. We talk about this all the time with Kyle. He knows who needs to see the ball. He knows whose confidence needs to get up. He knows you know, when the game is on the line who he can trust. And when you're able to do that for a whole career of playing the game, probably coaching too. Doc Rivers is now with the Philadelphia 76ers, and they seem to be playing at a level that I haven't seen them play before. Joel Embiid looks focused. Ben Simmons is happy with who he is. He doesn't have to be someone he's not. And Tobias Harris, whether he's the most overrated player or overpaid player in the league, is in his lane playing well, and they've got some really good pieces around them to really play to their strengths. Danny Green, obviously, who's won some chips and who can hit an outside shot, at least in the regular season. And Seth Curry, uh, don't forget the younger brother of Steph Curry. Uh, Seth, he can light things up, and he's just waiting for a playoff run. You could see it when he was with Dallas in the bubble. He's just waiting for this moment. How, how has Doc been able to do this throughout his career? And how is he going to do it, um, you know, with this team? We know how big Joel Embiid's uh, ego and character is. It's as big as his body. <laughs> how, is, how is Doc going to figure this out when we get to the playoffs? Um, well, first of all, um, Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level. Um, we want sure. him to do that. For the longest time, right? There were health issues. I mean, Shaq has wanted him to do it. I, I, I think I think Shaq must have vicariously <laughs> lived through Joel indeed. That's I think that's <laughs> um but I think you know Doc Rivers, you know, when he comes in, you know, they, he's always criticized for you know underachieving, you know, he did so whether it was in you know his run mm-hmm. with the Clippers. Um, but uh remember he's the one that coached and uh, the Boston Celtics to uh, their championship, right? With that super team. And Mm -hmm. uh, he brought, you know, the Clippers from the basement of NBA purgatory, right? And into being a relevant roster. Mm -hmm. So he understands um, how to manage a roster and how to ensure and how to protect his players, especially from the noise from the outside. Right. And so uh, we know that he did that for the L.A. Clippers playing in L.A., but also in light of the, the, the scandal, the ownership scandal. If, you, if there's ever a name that should be redacted, it's, it's the name of the former owner of uh, the L.A. Clippers. So in the midst of that, he knows how to help this team kind of stay focused on the priorities at hand and I think he'll do that with this Philadelphia roster who I feel has hit the ceiling so many times for the last several years with Brett Brown Um, I think he's going to make sure that they utilize Ben Simmons better Uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. we've always been trying to figure out what you know how can he play with Joel Embiid 
Uh, is he really a point guard? Should he develop, you know, that point, you know, that, that three point shot? Um, I think he's going to make sense of it. I think, you know, we've been talking about it ad nauseum on, uh, on Ben Simmons, but I think like you told, like you mentioned earlier, he's going to allow the better features of Ben Simmons kind of come to service That's right. and, and whatever weakness that Ben Simmons have, which we know he's going to uh, surround it with, uh, with, with elements that complement him, right. That, which is what, coaches do what, what you're supposed to do as a leader yeah um and but i think it's mental yep. toughness uh bryce when it comes down to it i think it's you know when it comes down to it um you need a leader either on the court or off the court to to steer the ship and 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 i think doc rivers whether he was a player or now as a coach he always had that mental mm-hmm. toughness right he wasn't the most athletic or skillful yeah. point guard in his in his heyday, um, but one thing that you could count on was his le- leadership quotient, as well as his mental toughness. And so, yeah. um, uh, I'm concerned, yeah. right? When when they got when when the Phil- when Philly yeah, sure. when Philly hired Doc Rivers, I was like, oh shoot, right? That this is this is another team that we're going to have to really compete against. When it was Brent Brown, I was fine because we had figured him out. We had figured him yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yep. um, but uh, he's one of the best coaches in the NBA, and I think he's going to yeah. let his value add. Don't worry about the regular season. Wait until the playoffs. And I think that's a better evaluate time evaluation right. of Doc Rivers. Right. Yeah, similarly to the Nets, I think both guys, they can, their teams can do as well as you know they're going to do uh there might be expectations but it really comes down to to playoff time now we're going to have another league musings episode where we'll talk about such things as most improved players but for now i want to finish this episode off by talking about one more point guard uh as it relates to the philadelphia 76ers and i know that we're not supposed to be talking about the raptors right now but we just love talking about them and there's been a lot of talk about our point god, our savior, Kyle Lowry, uh, being traded. And if there's one place that I would be okay with him going to, um, it would be Philly. Mostly because that's where he grew up. But I think there's a piece that they're missing. Uh, there is that, that strength of character as well as that stubbornness and that willing to, to put the team mentally on your back that he's done with the Toronto Raptors like he did in game six in Oracle when he just went off for like 11 versus straight Steph points Curry. to start hey, the game. Kyle versus Steph Curry uh, to close Oracle. What do you think about Kyle Lowry maybe going to this Philadelphia you know, 76ers when I look at the team before the season? There's two guys who won an NBA championship, right? Uh, there's... Um, and you mentioned mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there's Green, Danny Green, uh, who's won multiple. Ch- he, won, he won for somebody, <laughs> the we green know, machine, right? <laughs> right? But he, he's a spot up shooter. He's a three and D. He's not the one that's going to hold the ball and make a and make a decisive yep. play. He's not the play. He's not a playmaker. There's someone else who's won a championship on right. this roster who we haven't mentioned. Uh, Dwight Howard, court jester, mentioning his name because it's a fact. <laughs> Is he going to be a tipping point on whether they win an NBA championship? Um, p- potentially, right, as a role player, but 
that's not what you're talking about. You, right. You're talking right. about someone right. as a playmaker, right? And uh, and you're absolutely right. You yeah. know, I think that's yeah. one of the, um, uh, if you do a calculation on what actually uh, the Philadelphia 76ers need to make that jump is they need an additional playmaker who can complement uh, Joel Embiid when seconds or yeah. you know are going down on the clock you put the ball in this guy's hands and your heart can rest assured that he can make a play whether it's score or 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 pass and um my cons- you know I I'm with you yeah uh if 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 uh uh, Daryl Morey calls Masai or Bobby and says, hey, you know, we need Kyle Lowry. Um, he has one year expiring. He's on a one year expiring contract. Um, what, you know, what what uh, could we give for a Kyle Lowry? Um, one, I, I, I'm sure I'm going to be with you and many other Raptor fans. We're going to grieve for maybe a month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might grieve for the rest, the rest of, of the year. year. <laughs> right? Like, what, what, like, what's his value? He's a future Hall right. Of that's the key. Um, he's yeah. he's thirty five. Yep. Uh, he's playing. You know, uh, he, he, you know, he's at like that Chris Paul level where where he's still playing at an elite level, but you don't know how long he can he can continue playing at mm-hmm. that level, especially being right. Six foot, six foot one point guard, right? So, uh, what do you expect in return? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the key question. But in terms of of fit, and I think this is something that they've done very well with. You know, it starts with Doc Rivers, and it continued with Seth Curry, uh, even Dwight Howard, but especially Danny Green. In terms of the fit for this team, I they, they just look right for a guy like Kyra Lowry. Obviously they played very good basketball with yeah, Jimmy exactly. Butler, who's a exactly. very similar guy to Kyle Lowry. Although, although they play a little differently, uh, they had the same mentality. And I think with doc at the helm, unlike Brett Brown, who just couldn't do it. I think doc would give a lot of uh, confidence and, and, and put a lot uh, in Kyle Lowry's hands. And I think Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons respect him already, but they'd respect him that much more. That's something to look at as we get closer to the trade deadline. For now, our league musings uh, are going to have to uh, uh, end there. And uh, we'll look forward to tomorrow's game uh, against the Indiana Pacers. As always, Zaya, an absolute pleasure.